The following audio is from the King's Chapel in Clifton, Virginia. For more information about our church or to listen to more sermons from this series, you can visit us online at thekingschapel.org. Well, good morning. Thanks for uh, joining us on this, this holiday weekend. It's uh, always a good Sunday to be together in the house of the Lord, worshiping him and, and learning from his word. We're going to be in a, a little bit in Matthew chapter 4, at least initially this morning. So if you have a Bible with you or you have your notes in front of you, you can refer to Matthew chapter 4. We'll, we'll look at a, a lot of verses from different parts of scripture. Ordinarily as a church, what we do is we, we take a book of the Bible and we preach through it chapter by chapter. But occasionally, like we're doing right now, we'll take a, a time out from that rhythm to, to go through a specific series, and right now we're, we're really at the beginning stages of a series on knowing and doing the will of God. It might be uh, hard for some of you to believe, but when I was in high school, this is going to make some of you feel like I'm really old, some like I'm really young, but uh, nobody had smartphones yet. Okay, nobody had uh, smartphones. Most didn't have cell phones, actually, unless their mom let them borrow hers or something like that. And uh, most people also didn't have GPS in their cars. So some will remember this. The way you would get from one place to another, typically in that era, was that you would print out turn-by-turn directions from what? Does anyone still use MapQuest? I don't want to shame anyone here. Okay, we did have one hand raised. I won't look at that direction. But... This, this is what those directions would give you. They'd say, turn left here, turn right here. It was really simple, straightforward. It was a great way, especially if you had a co-pilot, to get from place to place. But where it became tricky was when you had to get home, you would have to read those directions in reverse from the bottom up, and you'd have to reverse every direction. So instead of turn right into your destination, you'd be like, turn left out of the destination. You remember that? It was difficult. To, to go in reverse. And the, the most difficult part about those directions is they were great most of the time, but the problem was is if you made a wrong turn into an unfamiliar street or neighborhood, there was no recalculating. This is hard for some of you to believe. You just had to leave some breadcrumbs or you had to, to just figure it out. But thankfully for me, what I had was I had my friend Eric Mersch. Eric Mersch, some of you know him. Uh, he is someone, if I ever got lost, I would pick up a phone and I would call him. And like some kind of super genius, he would say something without hesitation like, okay, Mark, describe your surroundings. Like, okay, uh, there's houses on my left. I see a bunch of trees. And then he'd say something like, with a dog park? Like, yes, what? And they'd say, keep going. You see that silver diner? Take a, take a right, take a left. I'm like, now? No, 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 not yet, now. And he'd direct me, and then he'd, he'd say something like, okay, do you see a sign for 66 East on your right now? And I'm like, no, yes, I do, actually. What is going on here? And he said, okay, you should be good from here. This, I'm not joking. This, I used Eric Mersch all the time as my real GPS. He was either following me around or just brilliant. I don't know how he did it. But I didn't need a map because Eric Mersch was my map. What did I have to do? Simply call him, listen to him, and obey him. Every time he said turn, I just did what he said. And what was crazy about it is he could take me a way that was totally unfamiliar, a way that I had never been before nor could ever find my way back from, but I could trust him because he somehow knew the way. Now, one of the most terrifying but also exciting parts about following Jesus of seeking to align our lives with his purposes, his ways, his will, is that he doesn't tell us in scripture that he will show us the full path in life. He doesn't lay it all out for us in detail all the time. He doesn't say he'll give us turn-by-turn directions, a printout from MapQuest. He simply says, I am the way. Follow me. Follow me. 
And so we're gonna look this morning at how God leads us, some of the ways in which God leads us both individually and as a church. The first thing we need to realize as, as we seek to be led by God is that Jesus is our way. In John 14, six, Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. Here we come to Matthew chapter four, starting in verse 18. And, and you'll remember this same kind of passage from the beginning of the Gospel of Mark we went over about a year and a half ago. It says this in verse 18. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he, that is Jesus, saw two brothers, Simon, who's called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and they followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called them. And immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. If you flip over to Matthew chapter 9, we see this. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth. Matthew was a tax collector. And he said to him, follow me. And he rose and he followed him. Now these are challenging verses in a lot of ways, aren't they? Challenging in two ways. One, the call of Jesus is demanding. These men are abandoning quite a bit. They're stepping away from a lot to follow Jesus. And they actually don't know what this is all about. What they don't know is that their lives are about to be radically redirected. They will become disciples of Jesus, followers of him, and then they will become apostles, leaders in the early church. They, in, in an effect of this following after Jesus, they will see miracles, they will heal the sick, they will face down demons, build the church, and they will suffer for the sake of Christ. But here's what's challenging about it. Jesus didn't tell them that any of this was going to happen, at least not in this interaction. He simply tells them, follow me, and they do. And the world has never been the same. We could contrast that to other passages in scripture like Luke chapter nine in verse 57. It says, as they were going along the road, someone said to him, I'll follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. It's as if he's saying in response, are you sure? Because to follow me, I don't even have a home. Is that what you want? Are you willing to, to step into this life of, of sacrifice and faithfulness? To another, he said, follow me. But here he gets an excuse in response. Uh, th this one who, who he says, follow me to says, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Now that doesn't necessarily mean that his father is, is dead at that point. But, but in, this, in the Jewish customs, he's saying like, I need to take care of my family. I need to see through the end of my, my family, my parents' life in a way that dignifies them. And Jesus says in response to that, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first. Hmm. Do we ever attach that to our, I will follow, but first. Let me first say farewell to those at my home. And Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. He says this in Luke 9, 23. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for, the, for my sake will save it. So the question for us this morning is, when it comes to seeking the will of God for your life and following Jesus, what do your requests sound like? When you bring him your life and you lay it before him and you ask him to lead you and guide you, does it sound something like this? Lord, tell me what to do. 
And, and once you've told me, when do you want me to do it? How should I go about it? Where shall I do it? When do you want me, who do you want me to involve? Let me think about the logistics. Let me sort it out in my schedule. And, and, and as I'm doing that, would you please give me a, just another sign that this is what you want me to do? Or are our requests more like this? Lord, I know that you're with me. What do you want me to do? Tell me, one step at a time and I'll do it. I think the first response, really, we don't articulate it that way, but in our hearts and our minds, the first response is more typical. Uh, we often feel this way. God, I want you to give me perfect turn-by-turn -turn directions. Lord, tell me where to go and I'll go, but give me the printout. But Jesus simply says, follow me. Simply follow me today. And, and we need to get to the place, by the grace of God, we hope to get to the place as a, as a church and a community where, where our response is the second response. Not just the, the response of the disciples to a call, but rather through the indwelling Holy Spirit of God, he continues to lead us and speak to his church and, and invites us to respond to him and, and be involved in what he's doing. God knows the purpose for your life for which he created you. God knows the way you should go. Jesus says, I am the way. Jesus knows the way because he is our way. So let me ask you, if you were to, to have such a relationship with our Lord Jesus that you could clearly hear his voice and do what he told you to do, would you be living in the center of God's will for your life? If you were hearing him clearly and responding obediently, would you be living according to the will of God? What do you think? Jesus is our way. Secondly, we see that Jesus is our model. This kind of relationship-driven, step-by-step faithfulness is the model that Jesus sets for us. In John 15, 9, 5, 19, excuse me, Jesus says this to them. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, the son, he's talking about himself, the son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing. For whatever the, the father does, that the son does likewise. He's telling them about his relationship with his father in the incarnation. Jesus, the way he operates is he spends time intentionally with his father. And in that time, he is, he is guided, he is led to do only what he sees the father doing. That's what God desires for us. He wants to guide our way. He wants us to trust him, to not be timid about which way to turn, not to be frozen in indecision. He will guide us. And when you get to the place where you trust Jesus to guide you one step at a time, you experience new freedom and he will give you plenty to do. Let me tell you, just like the ministry we see in Jesus, he will give you plenty to do to fill each day of your life with meaning and with purpose. Even if it seems, seems mundane and ordinary, he will accomplish through you what only he can do. And this is what Jesus models for us in the gospels. And he's teaching his disciples to follow him just as he follows his father, the leading of his father through his relationship with his father. The third thing we see is that God leads us step by step. He leads us often one step at a time. And I was thinking about this, this a lot when I say God leads us one step at a time. That doesn't mean that he's vague. In scripture, when we see God speak, when he speaks to people, they know it's him and they know what he's asking them to do. And so we see sometimes he's very specific in the ministry of Jesus. He, he says, go into the town and, and you're gonna find a, a donkey tied there. Talk to the owner and say, my master needs it. It's specific, it's clear. He gives them these clear instructions and then they go. But what I mean by this when I say God leads us one step at a time is, is he will lead you today and then he will lead you tomorrow. It is a day by day relational journey as God leads us. We see this in Genesis chapter 12. A great example of this one step at a time walk with God is Abraham walks by faith and not by sight. Genesis 12, one, it says, now the Lord said to Abram, go from the country 
and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. That's not super specific, is it? Go away from everything you know, take everyone with you, where? To the land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. He has the promise of God there. That that might make it a little easier when you hear directly from God all these wonderful promises to step out in faith but nonetheless, the path is not that clear. It's simply go to the place I will show you. So Abram went as the Lord had told him and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran and Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered and the people that they had acquired in Haran and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. What did God tell Abram to do? How specific was he? Go where? To the land that I will show you. We're gonna look at more examples of this in the coming weeks, but throughout scripture, God often will call people to simply follow him. And so the challenging question to each one of us this morning is, are we ready and willing to follow God in this way? Where we don't have all the answers, when we don't necessarily see the whole path, are we willing to follow him one day at a time? My hope and prayer for us as a church is that we are, that we would say, yes, I'm willing. I wanna follow him by faith and not by sight. I don't need to have all the answers. I don't need to know the how. I'm willing to follow and trust in the word of God. In Psalm 119, 105, it says this. It says, your word, That is the word of God. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. When this was first written, the the, the lamp was like a little candle, an oil uh, container, picture, I guess the lamp from Aladdin, maybe that helps you imagine this a little bit, but it was a lamp with a little uh, light at the end that, that one would carry to see just a little bit around them as they move through the darkness. Nowadays, we'd have a flashlight or a phone light, so you could read it today, your word is a phone unto my feet, but this is what this is all about. This is this, one of the most important lessons that we can learn in life is that as God reveals his will to his servants, very rarely does he show us the entire path in front of us. Uh, honestly, if he did, it would scare us out of obedience often because he prepares us and he matures us as we step forward in faith. But often he presents us with just enough light to see the next step of faith. Some of you are hoping to grow. We talked about this last week desiring to grow, desiring to do great things for the kingdom and you're waiting for the path to be lit up, the whole thing. But often it doesn't work that way. God wants you to move and he wants you to grow and he wants you to trust him, to trust him. And you will grow at the rate of your obedience to taking that next visible step of trust. A few years ago, my family uh, and I and another family from the church, actually, we went to this place called the Blue Ridge Tunnel a Blue Ridge Tunnel. I think we have a picture of it, actually. Has anyone been to the Blue Ridge Tunnel? This is a 4,000-foot hand-bored tunnel under Afton Mountain, uh, kind of near Charlottesville. And um, it, I don't actually remember what it was for. I guess some way to get through the mountain quickly. But when you walk into this tunnel, it gets really dark really fast. And as you go deeper and deeper into this tunnel, you, into the utter darkness, you can really only see two things. You can see one, a pinprick of light at the end of the tunnel, like we see here in this picture. And with a flashlight or a phone light, you can see just the next couple of, of steps in front of you. As you shine your light forward down the path, it really meets just utter darkness. Now this is, in some ways, this is a picture of the Christian life. Actually, the family we were with was Mike and Missy Miller. And Mike says, I know there's a sermon illustration in here somewhere. And so <laughs> he was right. He was right, but this is often what the Christian life 
looks like. We can have this steadfast hope that that light at the end of that tunnel, that that's something that we know we're moving toward, that trust ultimately in the end of the story of God's triumph and, and, and eternal life with him. We have enough light for that and we also have often just enough light for the next few steps. If I'm holding a flashlight, and I can't see far down the path. If I'm wanting to, to light more down that path, how do I light farther down the path? I have to take the next step. I have to step forward into the darkness. There have been many times in my life when I've been seeking the, the, the guidance of God, waiting for more light from God, saying, God, please just light up more of my path. The next 20 miles or so, that'd be great. Show me where this is, this is all going. But God, he, does, he, he simply says no often, trust me. And he gives us enough light for that next step of faith and then the next and then the next and that light continues to move down the path. There have been times when I've said, God, I'm not going until you give me a sign till I see where this is all headed. And guess what? God's got a lot more time to wait than I do. And then you do. He can wait for a long time, but he invites us into more in our life, to more trust, to exercise faith, to take action and to see him do what only he can do. And in that we experience him. And it's, a, it's an amazing thing. God's word is our authority in this. It's not just make it up as you go along, but in Psalm 119, 18, this is one of my favorite verses in this very long Psalm. It says, open my eyes that I may see wonderful things in your law. God's word is our authority. It is our guide. And, and, and this is a prayer we can pray. God, open my eyes to see wonderful things in your law. You might say, Mark, you make this sound so simple. Follow Jesus one step at a time. How do I even see one step? I've never heard an audible voice. If he does speak, I don't know how to hear it. I don't know how to distinguish it from other voices out there. And we're gonna talk about all of that in the coming weeks. I hope you keep coming back because we are going to, to tell you how to hear and respond to the, the voice of God, how God speaks even now to his church and in, to individuals. And so we're gonna look at that over the coming weeks, but it all starts with this. It starts with relationship with him. Do you have a relationship with God through Christ? Do you know him? Because what we see is number four here, the way God leads us, he leads us personally and as a community. Personally and as a community. I think of, of Peter and John as they're prompted by the spirit of God in Acts. They're walking towards the temple and there's this crippled man sitting outside of the temple begging for alms. He's asking for money. He's saying silver and gold, silver and gold. And they look at him and somehow prompted by the spirit of God, Peter understands what's about to happen. And he's obedient. And he steps up and says something really bold that could be really awkward if it doesn't go how he knows it's going to go. He says, gold and silver, I don't have. But what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus, rise. And the crippled man stands to his feet. I think of Philip, who's led by the Spirit of God and acts out into the wilderness, into the, kind of the middle of nowhere. And there a chariot rides up in front of him. And there on that chariot is a man from Ethiopia who is reading the scriptures. Just weeks after the crucifixion of Jesus, he's reading about the suffering servant in the prophet Isaiah's writings. And he says, do you know what you're reading? He says, how can I, unless someone explains it to me? And Philip, in that moment, explains the scriptures. He tells him about what Jesus just did weeks earlier in Jerusalem and, and how he died for the sins of the world and how he rose from the grave. He explains all these things. And in that moment, this, this Ethiopian, uh, um, son of royalty, this, this man who's going back to the royal houses of Ethiopia, responds to the gospel and is baptized. As Philip was led 
by the Spirit of God. I think of Ananias of Damascus, who is led to meet the, the persecutor Saul. He takes this assignment from God, go and pray for this guy who hates the church and has been persecuting it. He's blind right now, pray for him, and he'll receive his sight. And Ananias goes. Not just individuals, individuals, but in the church. I think of Acts chapter 13, verse two, where the church is gathered together in Antioch, this great church, and they're praying and they're worshiping and they're fasting. And in the midst of that, the spirit of God leads them to set apart Paul and Barnabas for missions, to send them out, to go into the world and specifically to the world of the Gentiles to bring forth the gospel. They are led by the spirit. They, they agree in the spirit. And so they lay hands on Paul and Barnabas and they send them out and the world has never been the same. You want some excitement? Read the book of Acts. Read what God does in the lives of individuals and groups as he gives them fresh revelation of the next step of faithfulness. As these hearts are yielded to what he wants to do, Lord, just tell me what to do one step at a time and I will do it. If any of you have been going through experiencing God and you picked up that study uh, that, that we've been going through as a church individually or in your small groups, you're going to see some realities of, of experiencing God. One is that God is always at work around us, always at work. He, he never stops working. Jesus says this about his father. He says, he says, my father is always working, so I'm always working. God is always at work. And we also see that God pursues a continuing love relationship with us that is real and personal. It's not vague, he's not at a distance and, and he actually wants to interact with you in your personal life and to lead you. A few weeks ago, I experienced this, just maybe, maybe two weeks ago, I experienced the personal nature of God and his reality in a way that, that I've come to expect. Uh, for almost two years, some of you know this actually for, for probably three years, we were going through this, this pastoral succession plan, this transition uh, from my father's ministry to now my ministry and leadership of, of this church. But for almost two years, I've been receiving monthly mentorship and coaching from, from a wonderful godly man who really his expertise is, is walking leaders through these seasons of, of transition. And he was coaching me. We'd get together on a call about once a month. And, and thankfully that season of succession had, had come to a close. And so what it became clear to me was that it was time for a, a new season of, of coaching. I'm so grateful for that time, but, but it, was, it was going to be my final call. And just as I'm uh, about to have my final call with my, my coach, I knew that I needed something. I knew I needed mentorship. I knew I needed counseling. I knew I needed uh, coaching. I needed someone with more life experience than I have. We, we all need that. And I knew I, I needed someone, especially with pastoral experience, who had, who had carried that weight, who had been there and done that before, especially someone who could offer me care and counsel for the sake of my spiritual health and my integrity. And so before I get on that final call, I'm on the phone with my wife. And she can tell you the, the details of this too. But we, we talk about this, this need, this void that's about to be there in my life. And so we pray. And we pray something like this. Lord, you know exactly what I need. As, as this void opens up in my life, I, I ask you to bring me someone into my life who can step in and, and be a mentor and be a coach to me. Lord, bring me someone who's been there in life, who knows you, who can be a voice of wisdom for me. I think I need that. I think you want that for me. Lord, please provide. And so we pray that prayer. We say, amen. Have my final call. 25 hours later, the next day, exactly 25 hours later, I get a completely random text from a friend at another church who says, hey man, I hope all is well. Just felt a nudge to share this with you. Not sure if it's from the Lord or not. That's someone who's experienced in, in giving words from the Lord. They, they don't wanna overpromise, you know, and say, thus saith the Lord. So he says, I felt a nudge. Whatever that means, I guess we're gonna find out in the coming weeks. 
And I, I felt like, not sure this is from the Lord, but then he goes on to tell me that he has a, a pastor, a friend who offers one-on-one -on -one spiritual coaching and care. He tells me that, that this man has been a, a massive help to him because of his spirit-filled, prayer-filled approach to counseling and coaching. And he's someone who knows what it's like to carry the weight of leading a church. And this is word for word what his final uh, sentence says. He says, just wanted to send that your way in case you were considering getting counseling slash pastoral coaching. Pretty cool, right? Real and personal. This is what relationship with God is like. It is real and personal. And so what do you think I did in response to that? This is what we'll learn is that when we see the activity of God around us, that is his invitation to join him to respond, to respond in obedience. So, so yes, I immediately made that connection because it was clear that God was at work right around me, that he was so good in providing this. But not only was he so personal in answering that prayer, this is what blows me away, is that he, by his Holy Spirit, spoke to my friend. Let's step into the other side of, of that text message for a moment and, and think about this. Someone told him, the Lord told him that I needed this referral. This is what intimate relationship with God looks like. My friend was abiding in the Lord, spending time with him, praying, and he was led to do something that to him felt pretty random and he obeyed. And then he got the joy of being absolutely blown away as I, I responded to him and told him how God had answered a specific prayer. God got to use him to do something that only God could do. God wants us. He wants you to know him through relationship. He wants us to personally experience his reality in our life. I have a lot of stories like this that I could tell, and I'm sure many of you do as well. But what we see is that God is not a concept. He's not a doctrine. He's a person. And he seeks a close and intimate relationship with us. He doesn't want us to simply believe in him. He wants us to know him and to relate to him. He doesn't want to just hear our prayers. He wants to converse with us. He is real and personal. Thank God that when we became Christians, he didn't just leave us and say, okay, you're saved now, now go behave yourselves. No, that's not what he does. He walks with us. He, he, he encourages us, he draws us every day to follow him afresh. His new, mercies are new toward us every morning. And not only does he, he speak to us and relate to us in this way that is real and personal, he does this, he leads us also as a community. I already mentioned Acts chapter 13 is Paul and Barnabas are set apart for missions work by the church. But God can do this in, in a community as well. I can remember back when I was in high school. Uh, I went to James Madison High School over in Vienna. And for years, actually, before I got to that high school, there were Christians there and there were Christian parents who were praying. There were young life leaders who were praying. There were people all over that school who were praying for the school and doing the work of ministry. But when I was there, um, me and a, a couple of my friends, we also caught this vision for praying. And we began to pray prayers like this, Lord, do something in this school with the, the four years, three years, two years, whatever we have left in this school, do something in this school that can only be explained by your power and can only be for your glory. We would pray prayers like that consistently. And what we saw happen over the coming months and years is that a couple of students, some upperclassmen started this, this midweek bonfire where, where students would get together and sing worship songs. And tens and then 20, 30, 40, eventually 60 students, many of whom did not know the Lord at all, would come to this environment where we'd sing songs of praise and then someone would get up and share some scripture. Someone would share a testimony. 
And it wasn't just in, in that ministry. Our youth group here was, was growing significantly. Um, friends of mine were coming to faith in Jesus. Every couple of months, a new one would come to faith in Jesus. I think of my friend, Eric Mersh, who I, I mentioned at the beginning of this. His sophomore year of high school, he came to faith in Jesus through the fellowship of believers as people were praying for him. I think of, of James Smith, who's often here and serving in King's Kids, who met the Lord during that time at Madison High School. I think of my friend, Grant, who, who had a, a radical turning in the Lord and was used mightily by the Lord for ministry. I think of others who are in pastoral ministry, who are in missions, who are uh, on Young Life staff all over the place. And in that four years that I was at, at, at Madison High School, what I can tell you is that God did amazing things beyond anything that we could have accomplished. We're a bunch of unskilled, goofy teenagers with long hair and hemp necklaces thinking we're really cool. And God worked through that for the sake of his kingdom to bring others, many, in. What I can tell you with confidence is, is there was a lot of seed cast during those years. And there were seed casts, some fell on rocky soil, some among the thorns, not all of it took and grew into to salvation and life for everyone that heard it. But what I can tell you with confidence is, is there is not one of my friends from high school that did not clearly at some point hear the gospel. And, and not one was, was void of a, a, an opportunity to respond to the work of Jesus in their life. Lord, do something in this school that can only be explained by your power and for your glory. Let me tell you, through that time, I began to know God and experience God in an amazing way because he was at work through us. No question about it. He was doing what only he could do. Do you want that in your life now? Honestly, in some ways, I'm tired of just telling stories about the past. What does God want to do now? What does he want to do in, in your school, in your workplace, in your family? What if he did even more of this kind of thing, what only he can do to bring those that you think would never come to faith in Jesus to a saving relationship with him. Picture it. That's life to the full. John 10, 10 says this. It says, I've come that they, they may have life and have it to the full. He, he desires that we experience the fullness of life with him. But it all starts with responding to God's invitation to this intimate love relationship with him. Because the fifth thing we see, and lastly, we see that God leads those who belong to him. God leads those that belong to him. This is eternal life. That they may know God, the only true God and the one you have sent, Jesus Christ. This is the heart of this sermon and our study over the coming weeks is that you know God and know Jesus Christ whom he sent. Knowing God doesn't come from a program, doesn't come from a textbook. It is personal, it is intimate, it is a relationship based in love. But I don't know where each one of you are coming from this morning. I don't know, know what you're bringing into church, but my hope and prayer over these next few weeks is that you begin to, to hear when God is speaking to you, that you clearly identify the activity of God in your life, that you believe him to be and do everything he promises, that you adjust your character, your behavior, your beliefs to him and his ways, that you see the direction he's taking in your life and experience God doing through you what only he can do. I'm gonna invite the band up here as, as we conclude. Here's the thing, I, I can't make any of this happen in your life. We know what John 15, five says. We've talked about this in the, in the last few weeks. This is our memory verse actually this week is this. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing, nothing. A branch connected to the vine, receiving life from the vine, growing out of the vine, grows and bears fruit. And so I wanna ask this morning, does that describe your life in the Lord? Does that describe your life with God? Are you experiencing his closeness, his nourishment, his direction like a branch from a vine? Relative to that, that relationship of a vine to the branch, where are you? 
depending on where you are in your spiritual life, if you hear that verse, you might think, I'm living an exciting, courageous, joy-filled, daily relationship with God, and what an exciting thing I get to bear fruit. That'll be the, the focus of that verse. But if not, and if you don't know him, what might stand in your mind is, is that last part, for apart from me, you can do nothing. Nothing. Is your life with Jesus connected to him? Or is your experience of God dry, confused, defeated, ashamed, discouraging? That part will stick in your mind. I can't do anything apart from him. Yet here's what I wanna tell you. God leads those who belong to him. His pursuit, his invitation is persistent. He is unrelenting in his love towards us. His invitation to abiding relationship with him is constant. And, and so to, to live this kind of life, a full life that bears fruit, you need to know God and you need to walk with him. All it takes is this. Have you ever placed your faith in Jesus? Maybe you come to church a bunch of times. Maybe, maybe you've uh, been around Christians or you at least know that you have a praying grandmother out there, right, for you. But have you come to the place in your life where you recognize your need for a savior? That in your own sin and brokenness, you know this world is not as it ought to be and neither are you and, and you have sinned against God and you need forgiveness. Have you come to the place where you understand that? Here's what I want you to know. If that's you, if you see that, Jesus Christ has his arms open to you and he offers you forgiveness. His arms have been outstretched on a cross where he took nails through his hands and his feet, where he suffered and died to take the sin of mankind upon himself and to offer us this free gift of salvation and redemption. If, if you don't yet know Jesus, if you never invited him into your life, today is the day. Today is the day to simply acknowledge your need to receive his free gift of salvation and know that he rose from the grave. He, he, has, he has made a way for us to have resurrection, eternal life with him. To repent of our sin and to receive his grace, to turn over rule of our life to Jesus, to let him be our Lord. And friends, as you do that, and for those that are already in Christ, as you, as you continually renew yourself in his grace, rehearse the gospel in your heart and mind, what he's not only bought for you, but called you to. It will change everything. If today is the day that, that you want Jesus to become your Lord, that you want this, to be led by him, to belong to him, and you've never done that before, you don't understand even what I'm talking about, but you want it, talk to a pastor, talk to one of your Christian friends and simply ask them this, how do I give my life to Jesus? Would you walk me through that? Would you tell me? I want that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you lead us, that you uh, interact with us in a way that is, is real and personal, Lord. You care about the intricacies and the details of our life. You are not far off. I pray that as we go here from here this morning, that each one of us would, would choose to abide in you, to remain in you. And Lord, I pray that you would soften our hearts to be responsive to the leading of your Holy Spirit. I pray you would give us grace as we seek to know and do your will. And Lord, we thank you that you are with us. In Jesus' name.